All right, if we can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everybody this morning. I love that we love to hang out and fellowship. That's a good sign for a church. Good morning, Gateway. It's great to see everybody this morning. Thank you, Sonny. Um, want to welcome everybody this morning. For those watching us at home, we're so glad you're able to join us during our time of worship and fellowship. Do you have a few announcements to let you know about things coming up this week and in the near future before we have our time with the Lord? First off, as some of you may have noticed in the hallway, we're gathering food. Um, for the Montgomery Baptist Association's Love Loud Ministry. Um, they do a one-year big drive called Rally for the Galley, where this next Saturday guys will come up in their motorcycles and they go all over the city with trucks and load up food from different churches. So we really encourage you to please help out in that. All the information is on the website. For news and events at gatewaybaptist.com. Uh, the list of the items that they're wanting us to bring are on the list. So. You can come anytime this week, Monday through Thursday from 9.30 to 5, and then Thursday's the deadline, and just stack everything there in the hall, and then we'll prepare it for Saturday for them to pick it up. So we just please ask you to help out with that. Next Sunday, right after church, we have another Discover Gateway class. Uh, for those that have been visiting with us or a regular tender that may not have uh, went to one of these gatherings, it's at our Pastor Grady's house um, for he and his wife uh, serve a meal. You have lunch together, some fellowship, and then you have a time together to kind of hear the DNA of who we are as Gateway, um, just who we are in ministries, our vision, things like that, to get to know a little bit more about who we are. It's the first step in the membership process, but there's no obligation, obviously, to join after that. It's just a way to get to know a little bit more about who we are. So next Sunday, April 10th, right after the worship service. In a couple weeks is Easter. We're very excited about um, Holy Week, and we have a few things going on that week, three opportunities to gather. The first is Good Friday. Uh, we will have a communion service here at 7 p.m. It's a very sweet time of worship and communion as we reflect on the passion of the Christ, of the Lord's death, and what he did for us on the cross. And then we have a special time, I think this is our 11th or 12th year in a row, at 6.30 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. We're right up the road here at Grace Presbyterian Church having a sunrise service with multiple churches. It's us, Legacy Anglican, Grace Presbyterian, and Young Meadows Presbyterian. We all gather together as the one church here in Montgomery to worship together, to uh, fellowship together on Easter Sunday morning. So this is 6.30. And then there's a time of fellowship afterwards in the uh, uh, fellowship hall there at Grace to have breakfast. You can bring a, uh, uh, a breakfast item. So there's more information about that as well on the website. And then obviously Easter Sunday morning at 10.30. Um, the schedule is normal, Bible study at 9.00 and then the service here at 10.30. Just a couple more things, just another reminder about Secret Church. It's that wonderful six hour Bible study gathering that we're gonna have on Friday, April 29th, being led by David Platt. He's done this for almost 20 years now. Um, the theme is, Who Am I? So we'll be here in this church sanctuary at 6 p.m. Friday night, April 29th. There is still slots available, so we can get you a book. Um, we really encourage you to be a part of that. It's a wonderful time. We've done it for a few years here at Gateway uh, from 6 p.m. to almost midnight. And yes, it is fun. It really is a good time. It's a wonderful gathering. We have snacks in the back, coffee, lots of caffeine. 
to get to hang you in there in a time of uh, fellowship and intercession and Bible study. And lastly, for the men, um, as uh, some of you may see, our pastor is not here this morning. He is in the mountains of northern Alabama. (laughs) That's um, some other guys from the church and their sons backpacking, and he will be coming back later today. But they planned another special event, Saturday, April 30th, a men's overnight backpacking trip um, from Saturday, April 30th into Sunday, May 1st at the FDR State Park in Pine Mountain Trail. Uh, You'll go eight miles up into the mountains. This is open to teenagers and adults, men. So there's uh, details on the news and events website at Gateway Baptist to sign up and register for that. And we'll let you know that over the next few weeks. So Saturday, April 30th through Sunday, May 1st, men and their teenage boys want to participate with that. So that's everything. So it's great to have you. Let's stand to prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship through song. Just want to read a verse over us as we prepare. This is from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Let's worship our Lord this morning. Take the world, give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All is yours, our burden made. But his love abides forever. Through eternal years to say. Let your 
my trust shall be. Take this word and give me Jesus till that day, my Lord, I see. Take this word and give me Jesus in his cross, my trust shall be. Yeah. 
Lord, what a declaration that is, which is truly our hope that all we have is you. Lord, what a reminder that song, as we declare just, we still struggle, God, with a rebel heart. We still struggle with wanting to have our own way at times and our sinfulness, but God, thank you and we praise you for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your long suffering and patience and your heart of restoration and reconciliation, God. That you draw us to yourself, that you forgive us, that despite we still struggle with this rubble heart at times, Lord, that you come after us as you did the prodigal to come and meet us where we are, to restore us, to embrace us. Lord, I thank you. I hope that's our cry as we just sang, Lord, that you take this ransom life that you paid the ultimate price for, your death, your sacrifice, Lord, that you would use us any way you choose. I hope that that's our heart's desire this morning. Here's our hands, our feet, our mouths, our hearts, our minds, submitted to you, God, yielded to you for your honor and glory to use us as you see fit. For the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your name and your renown, God, for the glory of your name. May that be our heart's cry today, God. We thank you and praise you that we're able to be in your presence, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, is here with us right now, intimately acquainted with everything that's going on in our lives, all of our struggles, our trials, our pain. Right now, you're meeting with each of us individually. Right now, that is astounding. We praise you for that. Thank you for your love and grace and for your intimacy, Lord. Being so personable, so understanding. And Lord, that's why we can come each week knowing who you are in your amazing ways, your majesty and your glory, your splendor. To be able to come each week to be in agreement as a body to bring these petitions before you. Praying for individuals and ministries and the nations to see your name glorified among us and among those peoples of the earth. So, Lord, we come to you this week, as we do each time, asking you to intervene in these situations. Lord, we thank you so much for the college students here at Gateway. We thank you for Seth and Megan Rodebeck and their heart to lead this ministry, God, and what you're doing in the lives of these young people on their campuses and in their spheres of influence at their jobs. We pray, God, you continue to draw them to yourself, continue to meet with them, Lord, bring them to a place of connect, conviction and renewal and just knowing you intimately that they're there for each other to bring encouragement as they meet even tomorrow night, continuing their study through Revelation. God, we just pray you continue, God, to make yourself known in their lives and that they would be effective ministers and ambassadors um, on their campuses and in the relationships that you have placed them in. Lord, we thank you for Donna McCullough as she leads the Montgomery Baptist Association's Love Loud Ministry as we're getting food for them this week and just her heart of compassion, Lord, as she leads this ministry to reach those, uh, the poor and the needy in our community. We pray you continue to provide for this ministry and give her wisdom, discernment, and strategy and vision on how they are to impact the community with the gospel. We thank you so much for her. Lord, we thank you that we get to lift up each week an extended portion of our family here in Montgomery um, and other fellowships and congregations. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Scotty Harris this morning and those at Grace Point Church of Christ. I've had the privilege to get to know this man over the past five years. He's a dear friend. And uh, communicating with him this week, uh, what we are to pray for, they have lost, has many in their uh, church congregation have lost loved ones recently. And God, we just pray for uh, your comfort and strength and peace for that congregation and those that are hurting. 
that you give Scotty and the other leadership as shepherds to come alongside them, to bring them comfort, to be able to minister to them. And they are also in the search for a new worship pastor. And so we ask you, Lord, to uh, give them wisdom and guidance in that process to bring the individual that you have for them to lead them into worship. And we just thank you for their ministry and just continue to bless them, Lord, over there on uh, Thorington Road in the ministry you called them to. And Lord, we uh, thank you we get to lift up on occasion those in our city who are having impact in our government and different places. And so uh, another dear friend and brother, Pastor Keith Moore, who God, you have specifically ordained and is placed as the chaplain for the Montgomery Police Department. And also he's been appointed as the Office of Violence Prevention Director under Mayor Reed. And God, we just pray he's under so much pressure and stress in the ministry you've called him to, to be salt and light and to shepherd those with the police force and those trying to help in this city to combat violence and to bring peace and comfort to our neighborhoods. We pray you, God, you give him vision and strategy and an inroad with the mayor and those on the council uh, to give wisdom. God, he represents you well. He is your son, your ambassador, and we pray that he is uh, truly salt and light in this community and in the sphere you've placed him in. Just like you placed Joseph into Egypt for such a time as, as this, we thank you that you have placed our brother Keith into this position to be able to be salt and light and to guide in this way. And Lord, we thank you we get to pray for those um, across the nations and our very own Ty Carmichael, who's a member here, has been with Youth with a Mission for the past few months in training and preparation. And we thank you, Lord, that he, just over the weekend, he is flying to Jakarta, Indonesia. And we lift him up and his team as they're gonna partner with the Jakarta International University there, working with middle school students and high school students, college students, in all different scenarios, God doing community outreach and street evangelism in that very dark place where Islam uh, rules as far as the religion. Lord, we pray you give them inroads, give them opportunities to share their faith, that the gospel would go forward um, in such a dark place and a very difficult place to evangelize. We pray you give them those divine appointments and those opportunities. Give Ty strength and good health over the next few weeks as he's there. Um, he's so excited to be there talking with him, and we just pray your protection over him. Guide and direct his steps, Lord, as you've called him to that nation. And Lord, we thank you for the offering given today and online. Uh, you're such a good God. You've provided everything we need. We pray you continue to bless the resources that we have here at Gateway for the sake of your kingdom advancement. And lastly, Lord, we thank you so much for our brother Rick, uh, that he's serving here as an elder. Thank you for his faithfulness, um, just his heart to teach and to shepherd. We pray you bless him this morning, Lord, get him energy, and uh, pray that he hears you clearly, that he will be your mouthpiece today. Give him wisdom and discernment, God, as he comes to share your word. We thank you so much for him. We love you, God. We praise you. May we never take for granted these times on Sundays that we can get together as the corporate body of Christ, as the one church, to encourage each other, to worship together, and to lift you up. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, first through fourth grade, you're able to be dismissed for kids' worship. Mr. Jeff is waiting for you out the door. Testing one, two, three. Got it. All right.
Hey, before we get started uh, this morning, what I want to do is highlight our uh, mission trip. Uh, mission trip we took a few months ago, back in February, and uh, to El Salvador. I put the map up there. Um, some of you, I don't know if you're in geography or not, but anyway, there it is. It's in Central America. And um, wanted to highlight a little bit about uh, what God is doing there. Uh, thank you, first of all, for your prayers. What a blessing it was to, to um, go down there and spend some time with the brothers and sisters. And we're there to equip. And uh, we had the opportunity. Next slide. So I went with uh, Mark Patterson. He's the short, bald guy there. So we had a lot of bald jokes. We all match. And then uh, also went with Brian Wiseman. First time I've been, had an opportunity to meet Brian. Uh, just in, encouraging to hear his testimony and how God has brought him to where he is in terms of missions. He uh, pastored a church for a while, and then him and his wife were called to TLI, Training Leaders International. And so we got to spend some time together, but uh, just a, an encouragement. Um, the, little, the picture there is, is the class that I actually led. Um, they're kind of a mix. Uh, we had uh, a couple in there. Um, Tirza, who's on the, if you're looking on the far left, sitting down, and her husband uh, behind her, Alvaro. Uh, we had some time to spend with them and hear how God had been working in their lives. And uh, it was just so encouraging to sit in the class and hear the discussion. And if you'll notice on, on my, if you're looking on the right, the, the, uh, the guy in the middle there between me and uh, Eduardo in the very end, who was my interpreter, uh, a young man and the guy on the other side of me, two young men who um, are probably late, uh, probably late teens, early 20s. And their love for the Lord and their desire to grow uh, in the, the Word of God. And so had some time to spend with them. I don't speak Spanish, and so they were trying to teach me. It was kind of rough, but uh, what a blessing it was just to hear how God has been working in their lives. Next slide, please. This is, uh, this is the whole class. And uh, since we started this, this is a three-year three project. I guess you call it program. Um, in which we go three times a year and we build on... Each lesson, we spent 23 hours of teaching in the Old Testament and showing how the Old Testament connects to the gospel. And as we did this, um, it's, it's a little bit discouraging in the sense that we started out with something like 55 something and a number have had have actually fallen off. So pray that these individuals would continue to come and to grow in the Lord. They're going to send another team down in June and October and Lord willing, um, I'm hoping to go back uh, next next February. So what I want to do, I'm going to show just a little clip. Um, it's about three minutes of one of the pastors talking about how this has really encouraged him and what he has learned. So uh, Eduardo, who is my interpreter, amazing. If you ever want to talk about a testimony, this, this testimony of Eduardo is amazing. Who'd been in the States, had lived a life of sin, was arrested, was imprisoned, sent back to El Salvador, and then he comes to faith, and he, has not, he hasn't come back to the States. He has kids. I think he has two or three children back in the States. But his faith and his love for the Lord is just amazing. So he interviews this pastor, young pastor, who's going to share a little bit about um, the, how this has influenced in, in uh, his life. So go ahead and play, play that video, please. For me, it is an honor to greet you. And at the same time, share the marvelous experience of this course that has changed the entire perspective 
Desde que he estado desde el primer curso, since we started the first course, mi cosmovisión empezó a cambiar. My cosmovision began to change. Empecé a contemplar a Dios más en escritura. I began to contemplate God more in scripture. Y sigo comprendiendo and I continue understanding como un plan perfecto how a perfect plan ha enlazado desde Génesis hasta Apocalipsis is connected from Genesis all the way to Revelations la gracia de Dios the grace of God para el ser humano for humankind uh, fui un pastor I was a pastor con una idea distinta with a different idea en trazar la palabra when it came to sharing the word había un porcentaje de legalismo there was some legalism being sin, preached sin embargo however eso ha cambiado now that has changed otro aspecto que ha cambiado mi vida another aspect that has changed in my life es ver como Dios is to is seeing how God tiene el control de todas las cosas is in control of all things muchas veces no comprendemos eso many times we do not understand that y podemos comprender a veces and sometimes we can understand en que podemos doblarle el brazo a Dios that we want to kind of twist God's arm sin embargo Dios tiene el control de todas las cosas again however God is in control of all things uh, lo que hoy estamos comprendiendo en el tercer curso what we now understand in this third course me ha ayudado mucho has helped me greatly que desde el punto de vista narrativa that from the narrative perspective podemos entender la doctrina de Dios. We can understand the doctrine of God. Y eso aún me fascina. And that fascinates me. Y seguirá retando mi vida. And it will continue to challenge my life. Este curso. This course. Que la iglesia. That the church. También estará siendo impactada. Is also being impacted. Ha sido un honor. It has been an honor. Y es un privilegio para mí. And a privilege for me. Estar participando to be part en este curso. of this course. Saludos a todos. Greetings to all. Que Dios les bendiga. May God bless you. Continue to pray for uh, the church in El Salvador, particularly in San Miguel in that region. It's just uh, an encouragement to see what God is doing and uh, the people that are being impacted. If you would, take your Bibles and uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And as we do, I'll ask you just to stand with me. Romans 6, uh, 1 through 5, as we read this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful this morning for the privilege that we have of worshiping together. Lord, we want to see your name exalted and magnified. Lord, you have accomplished 
for us what we could never accomplish. We've been born again because of Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who does not see that truth, I pray that you would remove the veil. Lord, that they would see and come to understand who you are and your greatness and your glory. Lord, I pray that this morning as your word is proclaimed, that God, you would use it in our hearts, that we would leave here a changed people. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We come this morning to the topic of the ordinances, or sometimes they're called sacraments in the uh, high church. Uh, Sacraments meaning a religious sign pointing to something spiritual. The two ordinances that we celebrate here are baptism and the Lord's Supper, and both are symbolic. Both are symbolic, meaning they are physical reminders of something that is spiritual. Baptism points to our union with Christ, and the Lord's table points to our communion with Christ, who has reconciled us through his atoning death. This morning, we want to ask the question, what is baptism? And as we think about what is baptism, we also want to think about, well, what is significant about baptism? And then finally, we're going to ask the question, well, why is it important? Hopefully, by the time we get to the why is it important part, you'll have picked up on why it is important. But I want us to to look at what what is baptism and and why is this an important part of what we do as Christians. It seems more often than not, Christians either elevate the importance of baptism or they downplay its importance. Sometimes over and making making it over important. Denominations have differing views of baptism, right? We have some views that see uh, baptism as salvific. Some look at it as symbolic, We also know that uh, some see baptism in a paedo-baptist fashion. So what's paedo-baptist? It's your Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? And then we have what we call credo-baptist, which we we, we say that in order to be baptized, you must make a profession of faith publicly of what Christ has done in your life. And we here at Gateway believe to a believer's baptism and teach that baptism is symbolic of our union with Christ. We believe that baptism is important because it points to the greater reality of what Christ has accomplished for us. Before we get into our text, here's what I want to do. I want to throw up. A. No, put up. I'm sorry. It's not in my notes. I want to put up. I want to put up. I want to put up a doctrinal statement, right? A doctrinal statement. Now, I know all of you, when you came to this church, you read the Constitution thoroughly, right? I won't ask for hands. But I want you to think, as, as the doctrinal statement, what does Gateway believe? And so when you come to become a member, you say, oh, I've read that. Well, let's put up this doctrinal statement. What is baptism? My question is, do we have all of that? I don't know if we have all of that, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. Baptism, baptism, Christian baptism, actually, do we have the, I think we have the wrong one, do we have the um, Baptist faith message statement there, by any chance? No? Oh, man, okay, take that off, back up, back up, we're going to remove that. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this, Baptist message and, uh, and statement of faith. It says this, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water, In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, 
buried and risen Savior, uh, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it's prerequisite, it is a prerequisite, excuse me, to the privilege of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. So the question of what is baptism, baptism according to that first statement that the, uh, the Baptist faith and message makes says that baptism is the immersion of the believer in water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's how I'm going to define it. Now we can put up the next definition here. Here's how I'm going to define baptism. Baptism is a church's act affirming and signifying a believer's union with Christ by immersion in water. And it is a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people. Keep that up there. There's two parts of this definition. First of all, baptism is usually within the context of the local church. I say usually because there are missionaries who go out. There are no churches and they are sharing the gospel and they are planting churches. But even then, a missionary is someone who is sent by the local church. And it is the church who has been given the authority to baptize believers. Second part of this is this. Baptism is a believer's act of publicly committing or identifying with Christ and his people. It is so encouraging, I believe, when we have baptisms here. And here's why it's so encouraging to me. When I hear the person who's getting ready to be baptized, and I hear what God has done in their life, I become overwhelmed often. I'm the one in my family that does most crying. Don't laugh at me. And I sit there and I listen. And then what, what happens is I hear the congregation saying or, or giving testimony to what Christ has done in the life of that individual. And that's usually when I start doing this number. Why? Because in this church, this body of Christ, whom God has put us here to love one another, encourage one another, when we see somebody go in there and be baptized, we are identifying, look at what Christ is doing. Amen. Look at what Christ has, look how he has transformed that life. Brothers and sisters, it's glorious. I mean, when you think the miracle that takes place as, as young people and older people and all walks of ages come through those baptismal waters, we sit there and go, wow, God did that. God transformed that. God made that person new. And they're publicly identifying what? With Christ. And they're also publicly identifying with the body. It's a proclamation. Now, I want to talk just a minute about mode. <laughs> mode. So do we have to get into mode? If you're Presbyterian, forgive me. I have a Presbyterian minister, friend of mine who's up in Wetumpka, and I saw him last week, I think it was. I said, hey, I'm preaching next Sunday. You ought to come. <laughs> he kind of looked at me. I'm preaching on baptism. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> so the question becomes is, why do we practice immersion? And you might say, uh, because it's on the sign out there, Baptist. Okay, amen. But why do we believe immersion is biblical? And here's why we believe immersion is biblical. It's, first of all, in the word. Baptizo, it does mean to dip, to immerse. 
And scholars, no matter where you look, even if they're from a different persuasion, would say, yes, that's what it means. But that's not the only reason that we immerse. It's because we have an example. We have Christ. We read this in, in Matthew 3, 16 through 17, right? And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So in this text, what we see here is Christ is the example. Christ goes down into the water. He's immersed. Another example we have is from Acts. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And you know the story well as, as Philip is, is told, go, go, go to that chariot. And he comes up and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading what? Isaiah 53. And he explains to him, he goes, I don't know what I'm reading. Can you explain this to me? And he explains it to him. And he comes to faith. And as they're traveling, we read this. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. That's amazing to me, by the way, if you know that area. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And again, the picture here is this, this beautiful picture of what Christ is doing, has done in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. But there's another reason why we baptize, and it's going to be connected to this next question. But we baptize because we believe immersion is biblical because of what it represents. Immersion represents our death and burial and resurrection with Christ, which brings us to this question, what does baptism represent? Why is it so significant? This is where we come to our text in Romans 6, 1 through 5. I'm not going to read it again, but I want to highlight a few things. I mean, this passage would probably take two or three Sundays actually to exposit But what I want to do is just try to show how it relates to the doctrine of baptism. In this text, Paul wants his readers to understand what happens when we are born again by faith alone in Christ alone. I'm going to make that real clear. We believe baptism is symbolic. It does not save. Baptism represents what has happened to us spiritually. In the previous section in 5, 18 through 21, Paul makes the argument that just as a man, one man's sin, i.e. Adam's sin, led to the condemnation of all men, so Christ's one act of righteousness, his death on the cross, led to our justification and life for all men who put their faith in Christ. Then he asks this question. It's in the text. He asks this question, what shall we say then? Is the text up there? Can, can we put that up there, Lana? Um, he asks the question, what shall, shall we say then? Are we to sin? Are we to continue in sin that what? Grace may abound. And he, how does he answer it? How does he answer that question? By no means. By no means. Why? Paul writes, how can we who what? Died, what? Still live in it. In other words, something has happened in your life. You've been transformed. And Paul's making this argument because the people hearing it would sit there and go, well, wait a minute, all I have to do is believe and that's it? I'm transformed by just the the work of Christ? Don't I have to do something? Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, when when you put your faith in Christ, something does happen. 
You, you, you die with Christ. Your old self dies. Brothers and sisters, this is huge. It means a transformation has happened. Yeah. And then he asks, as he, as he finishes, and Paul explains what has happened. Let's go on to the text. He, he says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were what? Baptized into his death. So baptism, baptism, this, this is what we do physically. Baptism pictures our death in the death of Christ. Paul is suggesting here that we experience the death when we become followers of Christ. Every one of us who have been born again has experienced the death. And it's in the text. How so? Paul says that those who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, which means that when Christ died, we died with him spiritually. And that also means that we are in union with Christ. Our spiritual union with Christ means that when he died, we participated with him in that process. And what died? In the text, we can see what died because he says later on we're, we are walking in newness of life, right? But what died? It's the old nature of sin. That's why Paul asked the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul sees our old nature dying, but now we have been raised so that we might walk in newness of life. So this means two things. Number one, if you've been born again, you are not the same person you weren't what well, you weren't were because of your old nature. And secondly, you have been given a new life in Christ. So when, when that burial, that, that symbolic burial takes place, it is a beautiful picture of the dying of that old self. And the resurrection, as you come out of that water into new life. I'm a new person in Christ. I did nothing to do that. I did nothing. That, when, I do, when we do the baptism, there's nothing in the water that makes it mystical that that happened. It's already happened. But when that happens, it's that beautiful picture of that was all Christ. All of it was Christ. The parallel verse is found in Galatians 2.20 where Paul writes, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Yeah. When Paul says, it is no longer I who live, the I, the I, is the old, unbelieving, rebellious self. Why would Paul use then the metaphor of baptism? I think it's self-explanatory, but I, th I think here John Murray makes a good point when he writes, the appeal to baptism, Paul's appeal to baptism, certifies that the reader of the epistles were aware of the place and the importance of baptism in the Christian profession. It was the sign and seal of membership in the body of Christ, and the apostle assumes that the believers at Rome did not call in question the necessity and privilege of the seal of their status as Christians. They understood it. Yes, this makes perfect sense. Brothers and sisters, your physical baptism portrayed a burial. 
It represents the death of your old self with, and, and your new self in Christ. It's a public profession that Christ has transformed you. So I would sum up, what does the physical baptism, what does it signify? Our baptism is a symbol of what has happened to us spiritually and internally. We were talking this morning about uh, the new covenant. And Greg, Greg's teaching through the, the new covenant. And I was just so encouraged because it, I was thinking about, wait a minute, this relates to this. You know, have you ever read scripture and you're like connecting everything? Like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, this is all connected. And we're thinking of the new covenant. One of the things about the new covenant is no longer an external work. It's the internal work. The internal work. Now, now you'd say, well, that, that's important, but what does that also mean? It means that it's internal, but it also expresses itself externally. And how we talk, how we relate to one another, how we love one another, how we care for one another. Right? And so that's what is happening when we publicly testify that we are a new person in Christ. But there's one other aspect that I think it's important to, to highlight. Since we are united with Christ in his death spiritually and his resurrection spiritually, we can be confident that we will be physically raised again. Since we have died with Christ and he died our death, the death we deserved, our death in Christ becomes victorious. I love paradoxes in scripture. Tension. How does my dying become victorious? Because as I die, that old nature die in Christ, it means that I have a new life in Christ, which means what? I can be assured that what? I will be resurrected again in his presence. I'll see him face to face. That's glorious news, brothers and sisters. Especially in a world where things feel totally out of control. So why is baptism important? Four points. How am I doing on time, Megan? I'm just kidding. I'm pulling. My kids will say, oh, Dad, you'll preach for 15 minutes. I know. You've heard it. No, I won't. I won't. I promise. Got me? Conrad, time? All right. All right. Thank you. Here we go. Number one, why, why is baptism so important? Here's it, here it is. Christ commands it. Christ commands it. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then what does he say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you realize that baptism is connected to discipleship? I don't know if you ever thought about that. But we're called to, to be disciple makers, Everybody agree with me on that? So I want to ask the next question because we're talking about discipleship a lot in our elder team. Just love these brothers because we get together on Wednesday morning, which CJ and I are going, oh, man, this is awful. 6 a.m. But you know what? As we start talking, as we start talking about the word of God and what God is doing, and we're talking about discipleship currently, we say, we need to see more discipleship. How can we help model discipleship? Brothers, can I say this? One of the ways that we can model discipleship is through baptism. Because as what we're doing is we're, we're saying, look, a person who comes to faith in Christ, and as we disciple them, say, look, the first act of obedience, this is my next point, I'm running this a little bit 
close to prayer. But the first act is following Christ, which means you need to be baptized. And as they're being baptized, what are they doing? They are expressing what Christ has done to everyone else in the church. And I would suggest to you that everybody else in the church is not necessarily a believer. And so they're, they're, they're sharing the gospel and they're saying, here's what Christ has done in my life. And people are hearing it within the congregation. They're going, oh, yeah, that's what happened with me as well. And there's others and they go, I don't know if that's true of my life. So disciples are being made and Christ calls those disciples to be baptized. And one of the first acts is identifying with Christ's baptism. It's a public, public proclamation. Here's who I am in Christ. Number two. As I said earlier, it is the first act of obedience as a follower of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the gospel at Pentecost. I love this portion. We're going through the Acts as a family. We've been reading Acts, and we're going through it for OCF study uh, at the base. We've been going through Acts and reading. I just love the book of Acts. one of my favorite books. By the way, just be careful. It's not always prescriptive. It's descriptive. But in this case, Peter preaches the gospel at Pentecost. And when the assembly heard his message, it says they were convicted and said, Brothers, what shall we do? We've heard the gospel. What do we do? We're convicted. And Peter responds. Here's what he said. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting because Peter says, Repent. And I've had this conversation, is it, what is faith? Well, faith includes repentance, because repentance acknowledges I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And then once that repentance has taken place, which is a work of God in our hearts, we follow that up with what? Baptism. Why? Because it identifies us with who has done the work in our lives. And by the way, just so you know, that baptism was no small act at all. Those who were publicly, those who publicly identified with Christ typically were now isolated or alienated from their communities. You know, we, we think of baptism in terms, you come in here, you get baptized, and maybe not a whole lot happens because people, oh yeah, that was wonderful, that was great. But I want to tell you, there's something to be said about public baptism. Like if we went down to the river, I would see that, I went down to the river, anyway, that's all that comes to my mind. I sing sing a song. So anyway, you go down to the river, right, Montgomery, and you do a public baptism, and what would happen? All you'd say, hey, Montgomery, come on down. We're going to have this big baptism. And people are watching, and what are you you doing? You're publicly professing, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So you didn't have private baptisms in the first century church. They had public baptisms. And people knew who it was that were claiming their allegiance. They're claiming allegiance to Christ. That's a big deal. Repent and be baptized. Why? Because that's the calling to which we've been called to publicly identify with Christ. First act of obedience. Second, thirdly, is the testimony of our union with Christ. We've already looked at this, but Romans 6, 5 again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism serves to remind us of our covenant union with Christ. It is a sign. It is a sign. It is a symbol that we belong to him, like a wedding ring. I, I just, going through this last night with my kids, 
because I always say, hey, does this sound right? If y'all can understand it, maybe y'all will understand it. Um, and I said, um, when a couple exchanges rings during the ceremony, and I've done a number of these, is it the ring that binds them? Is it this that binds them, this little piece of metal? I've lost three of them, two of them. The original, gone. But is this, is this is what it signifies? Is this, is, this, is this what is really what Mary keeps me married? What, what, what is it? This is just a symbol of what? It's the symbol of what actually took place. Because what took place is what? At, at, a, at a wedding ceremony, you exchange vows. And those vows are what covenants you together, right? And then I will say, as we've done with the pastor, okay, take the ring. And as you place this ring on his or her finger, repeat after me, with this ring, I thee wed, right? Which is a symbol, it's a reminder. Here is who you are in terms of your covenant relationship before God and before others that are witnessing that marriage ceremony. Does that make sense? That's exactly what baptism is. It is that symbol that says, Look, I have made a covenant. It is a permanent covenant between God and me. God has done this in my life, right? And it's a visible reminder that we have been united with Christ in that covenant relationship. That, that, that would bring a, an important question, I would hope, in your mind. What if, what if they don't really understand it? And this is where I get the tension, Okay. Because here's what I'm going to suggest to you. I would suggest that a new believer is ignorant of a lot of things. I mean, when I came to faith, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I mean, a whole lot of things. You know, as a kid, right? But one of the things I would caution us in terms of, and, and I, I wrote a, <laughs> Molly will like this, I wrote a five-page paper on pedo-baptism. Um, but I thought about it in terms of the church and our being careful with this. And here's why I wrote it, because there were some that says, oh, my child is five years old, and now they believe they want to get, they want to get baptized. I'm like, oh, okay, what do we do with that? Now, I'm speaking not from a position here of where, where we as a church stand. I'm speaking here personally, okay? I want to make that very clear. But I want you to think about this, parents, because as you're discipling your children, there are times when your children may believe that, maybe, you're not sure, and here's why, because they want to please mom and dad. And there has not been any type of testing in terms of, of, of do you really believe this? So I just want to caution you because part of me wants to say yes. By the way, I said earlier that the Acts is not always a prescriptive book, and here's why. Ethiopian eunuch is not a prescription of how we should do baptism necessarily. It's not. Because why? The Ethiopian is not going back to a church. And Philip kind of shows up uniquely. Actually, he leaves very uniquely. He leaves uniquely, which is not, you know, I mean, can you imagine your pastor baptism? He's gone, you know. Whoa, whoa, wait, what happened there? So, so think about that in terms of what? In terms of baptism, we need to think through. And why is this important? Because as we think through baptism, in terms of the union with Christ, we want to make sure our children, as best as possible, understand what that means in relation to Christ. And now that brings me to my last point, which I believe that baptism is required it's a core requirement for membership. Boy, my, my, my elders, the elders here can hear, he's always talking about membership. He's always talking about membership. Okay, here's what our Constitution states. Here's what it says. 
This is what it says in our Constitution. Being a church ordinance, i.e. baptism, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. The question is why? Well, I would ask the question, um, how did the disciples know that 3,000 were added to the church? I'm glad you asked. How did they know? I mean, it said about 3,000 were added to the church. That's a, that's a number, right? All right, so you look at Acts 2.41. Acts 21, 2.41 says, those who received his word were what? Oh, wow. Which means there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What did they do? They followed in obedience into baptism. And when they were baptized, now the privileges of church body life, membership, its privileges, its accountability, church discipline, all of this was said, okay, they are identifying with the church. And therefore, if they're identifying with the church, there's accountability now. Because they're saying, I belong to Christ, and we're saying we belong to Christ. And now coming into that membership says, well, wait a minute. There's some responsibilities and obligations to that relationship, to Christ and to the church. And that's what our, 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 our church statement says. And I just want us to be careful because here's what I see in the culture. Oftentimes, baptism can happen. And by the way, it got me rethinking about this because as a chaplain in the military... Last deployment I was on, I was preaching in the, 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 one of the services, and those people were, were, I saw a couple people come to faith. And then another chaplain said she had seen some people come to faith, and they said, hey, well, I want you to do a baptism. And I struggled with this, and here's why I struggled with it, because part of that is, well, wait a minute, baptism, we say that baptism does not save, okay? It doesn't. God has already done the work in the heart, and if I'm going to argue that the church should be the one that has that authority, although you could say, well, the chaplain is, is, is working as an authority in the, is, is representing the church, okay? But I sat there and I had a conversation with one guy. I said, why don't you wait till you get back to the States and find a church to get plugged into and have them baptize you so that it's a public testimony of what Christ has done. And I think that's the biblical, the biblical way. And as we talked more and more, I did end up baptizing him and one other. But what did I encourage him to do? I said, look, now that you have identified with Christ, your responsibility is to be connected to a church that can help you grow in your walk with Christ. And so you think about that in terms of why, why is this so important? Because a person who makes this public profession is saying, I identify with not just Christ, but I also identify with the body of believers, this local church. So, brothers and sisters, I believe baptism matters. Um, I do with all my heart. I think mainly because I see this beautiful picture of what it represents. Christ has commanded his followers to be baptized. The act of baptism shows our love for Christ and his church. And my question to you is, if you know Christ this morning and have not been baptized, why? Um, if you want to be part of the church, we, I, we would encourage you to come and talk about baptism. Now, I get it. It's not a, look, coming up here to preach, I've already, the guys already know this. They're praying for me. i got guys praying for me right now. I get nervous, have for 14 years. I don't know. The older I get, the more nervous I get. It's weird. But to stand up there and give your testimony, that can be nerve-wracking. Would you agree with that? And then some of the ladies, oh, I don't know what my hair will look like after I come out of the water. Don't have to worry about that. Um, 
Some of oh, what are the, what's going to happen? I just don't want to, I don't want people to see me that way. Look, you know what baptism, it's also humility. But it's a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. And I would encourage you that if you haven't, if you keep putting it off, I don't know, I don't know, come talk to one of us. Have a discussion. We would love to encourage you in that. Um, and if you are a believer, take that first step in believer's baptism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for uh, this text and uh, just a reminder of what baptism is. Um, Lord, it does not save. What, what it does, it shows us where we, where we are in our relationship to you. Lord, if there's someone here who has put their faith and trust in you and they are just not sure, I pray that you would just do a, that work in their hearts, that they, they would come and identify with you. Lord, there may be someone here this morning who doesn't know you, and I pray that even as we've talked about what baptism represents as this new creation, that as they look at their own lives, or they, they may not see that, that newness. And so, Lord, I pray that today that they would put their faith and trust in you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
true as we've sung this last hymn that you would truly be our everything, that you would be our vision. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the grace that you so richly have poured out on those in this room who know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we would go and we would be a witness for you, that our lives would be a testimony of what you have done in and through us, Lord, and that the gospel would go forth and we would see more, more people come to know you as Lord and Savior. God, that you would do a work, change hearts and change lives. We thank you for this morning. Be with us now as we go our separate ways, and may these truths be on our lips. In Christ's name we pray.